Hi, this is Pastor Ryan Spooner. I'm so glad that you're listening to our sermon podcast. I hope it's a blessing. If you live in the area, or even if you don't, we would love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. We meet at 10.30 a.m. at the Millworks in Willington, Connecticut, 156 River Road. Also, if you'd ever like to help support our church financially, we would be extremely grateful. You can donate through our website, stpaulschurchct.org. Thanks. All right. Good morning. So we have come now to the sixth week in our Christ the Healer series, where we're looking at the stories of Jesus' healing miracles. And the healing that we're looking at today might surprise us in a couple ways. I would say this is a story that throws us a few curveballs, and there are some important lessons to learn in those curveballs. So if you have your own Bible, I encourage you to follow along and open up to John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you again for this morning. Thank you for the joy of being able to worship together, and we invite you now to work in our hearts and our minds. Speak to us through the scriptures. Lord, help us to be open to whatever it is that you want to teach us today. And now all God's people said, amen. All right. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, was a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them the answer. 
Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. All right, so let's walk through this story piece by piece. Jesus comes to a pool that disabled people would lie around, and uh, the people believed that this pool had healing powers. They believed that every now and then an angel would descend and stir up the water, and the first person who made it down into the water as it was stirred would be healed. Now, was that actually true? I doubt it. I think it was probably more likely that this was a legend, you know, just like in the past and sometimes even today, people think, well, I'll go to these special sacred springs or whatever and I'll get healed at the springs. Um, but whatever the case, people hoped that it was true. And so they, the disabled people in the area would lie around this pool waiting to see if the water would be stirred. And one of these disabled people had been disabled for 38 years. 38 years, this man had not been able to walk. And just for perspective, you know, Jesus is probably about 30 when this happens. So that means that the night that he was born and laid in a manger, this man may have been lying around this pool, even then, waiting for the water to stir, hoping that someone might help him down into the pool. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now notice, Jesus doesn't know this man personally. It says that right now he learns that the man has been there for a long time. Now, how did he find out? We're not told. Maybe the father just gave him this special knowledge about that right then and there. Or maybe he asked the disciples. He said, hey, what do you know about that guy? And they said, oh, that's old Eliezer. He's been there as long as I can remember. My dad says that he used to pass him when he walked to school. The kids would all make fun of him. He'd give it right back to them. So Jesus approaches this man. I'm going to keep calling him Eliezer because it's a pain to keep saying the man. So hopefully you don't think I'm going too far beyond scripture in doing that. But this can be old Eliezer. So Jesus approaches old Eliezer and he asks, do you want to get well? And Eliezer responds defensively, right? He says, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. In other words, of course I want to get well. I'm at this healing pool, aren't I? But I can't get down there because I've got no one to carry me into the healing waters. And of course, what this man doesn't realize is that he is speaking to the true healing waters. And he doesn't need anyone to help him down into the healing waters because the healing waters have come to him. And those healing waters say, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And he does. It's a miracle. After 38 years, he stands. His muscles should be so atrophied that this is impossible, but they are miraculously restored. Now, most of us, if we hadn't heard this story already, we would probably guess that it would go like this from here on out. Eliezer, Eliezer is overcome with joy. 
He jumps up and clicks his heels together. Everybody celebrates and puts their faith in Jesus. Everyone that witnesses it is amazed. They praise Christ and they say, we'll follow you wherever you lead, Jesus. But that's not how the rest of the story goes, is it? When the Jewish religious leaders see old Eliezer up and about, they don't say, praise God, you're healed. They say, um, Eliezer, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. A man who has not been able to carry anything for 38 years is suddenly miraculously able to do so, and their reaction is, hey, that's against the rules. This is like uh, giving CPR to somebody who has stopped breathing, and when they're resuscitated and they start gasping and breathing, the person gets mad at them for not wearing a mask to protect everyone from their germs. This is the ugly version of religion. When devotion to God becomes all about rules rather than love, when it becomes about the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law. Jesus taught that the spirit of the Old Testament law is this, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. The laws exist to help accomplish those purposes. But many of the religious leaders seem to have forgotten about this. They have been, become focused on the laws themselves rather than the goal of the law, which is love. The Sabbath is a great example. In the law, one of the ten big commandments was to observe a weekly Sabbath, a weekly day of rest. Now that command, that's a very loving command, right? We all need time off, we need a break. So Israel was commanded every seventh day, take a break. But somehow the command to rest had been turned into a burden. It's ironic, isn't it? Because the rabbis had to answer the question, well, what counts as work? We're not supposed to work, so what is work? Now, if love is guiding the answer to that question, we're not going to get too hung up on the details, right? We're going to say, work is, you know, whatever you do to generate income, so take a break from that, take a break from slaving in the fields, take a rest. But they tried to get all technical about it. They said, well, work, I mean, work usually involves carrying things, so you shouldn't carry anything on the Sabbath, including a mat. Therefore, Eliezer, even though it's a miracle that you can carry that mat, shame on you for carrying it. One of the times when Jesus was confronted about how he and his disciples behaved on the Sabbath, he said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, people are more important than the Sabbath. People aren't supposed to serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath is supposed to serve them. It's supposed to be a blessing, a gift, time of rest. It's not supposed to be a burden. Jesus let the purpose of the law guide his interpretation of the law. He let love of neighbor guide his interpretation of the law rather than the letter 
of the law. And when we're aware of all this, it really adds to the significance of that moment when Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk. Pick up your mat and walk. Why does Jesus say that? Why does he say, pick up your mat? Is it because he thinks it's important for uh, Eliezer to clean up his space? Now, now, Eliezer, make sure you leave it as nice as you found it 38 years ago. Pick up your mat. No. He says, pick up your mat, because he is protesting against the unhealthy way that the law has been interpreted. He's he's saying to Eliezer, pick up your mat on the Sabbath. It doesn't matter. That's not really work. In your case, Eliezer, picking up your mat and walking is probably the most restful thing you've done in 38 years. So pick it up. Jesus says, pick up your mat, because he knows that how people respond to that will expose what's going on in their hearts. When someone with a healthy heart sees a man who's able to walk for the first time in 38 years, they celebrate. When someone has an unhealthy heart, they say, ahem, carrying mats is not allowed. Jesus is exposing how far the religious leaders have fallen from the true spirit of the law. How far they've fallen from loving their neighbors as themselves. Because they do not approve of what's happened here. And so they ask Eliezer, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat? Who is this dangerous fellow? Notice they don't say, who is the guy who healed you and made you able to walk after 38 years? They say, who told you to pick up your mat? That's what's important. And Eliezer says, well, beats me. I never got the guy's name. I never knew who he was. And we're told that Jesus slipped away into the crowd right after he healed him. So, end scene. New scene. Jesus finds him at the temple. And he says to him, Look at you. You're well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. Now, what is Jesus talking about there? What is the sin that Eliezer is guilty of? What is the worst thing that might happen? Worse than what? Raises a lot of questions. Well, I think the key to answering those questions is what comes next. And this is the biggest curveball in the story. It's such a curveball that you might not have even noticed it. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Oh, Eliezer. You ungrateful tattletale. He just ratted out Jesus. At some point, Eliezer figured out that Jesus was the name of the person who had made him well. Maybe he found out in that little interaction there at the temple. And then he went and he gave Jesus his name to the authorities that he knew were upset with him. The same authorities who had said, You can't carry your mat. That's forbidden. Who would tell you to do this forbidden thing? 
And then as soon as Eliezer finds out the name of the man that commanded him to do this forbidden thing, the one who healed him, he goes and he rats him out to the authorities. It's hard to believe. The man who was able to walk after 38 years because of Jesus sided with the religious leaders. Now, I think that puts Jesus' first question to the man in a new light, doesn't it? Do you want to get well? Maybe he really didn't want to get well. He doesn't seem to have much gratitude for his healer, right? And he never really did answer the question. So, what can we learn from the curveballs in this story? I have three lessons for us. Number one, physical healing doesn't always heal the heart. Even though Eliezer gets a miracle, he does not respond with faith and devotion to Jesus. Some people say, well, if only God would heal me from whatever, then I would believe in him, then I would follow him. And sometimes when we're praying for our loved ones, we think, if only God would heal them, then they would turn to Christ and follow him. But this story shows us that physical healing doesn't always have that effect. People can experience healing, but then go their own way. Let's think about what Jesus said to the man right before he ratted him out. See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. So this raises the question, what is Eliezer's sin? All right. Well, we're not told, but I do think that we can infer it from what happens next, from the way he turns against Jesus. I don't think his sin is something specific that is not revealed to us in the text. You know, something like he's been secretly stealing from the, treasure, the treasury of the temple, or he's been going to see prostitutes or something like that. The sin is the attitude of his heart. And we see that revealed in him turning against Jesus. What is the attitude of his heart? Well, he's very afraid of the religious leaders. His fear of the religious leaders is greater than his appreciation of Jesus. He longs for the approval of the religious leaders. Another way of putting this is he longs for the approval of the people who he perceives to be in power. If you're fearful, insecure, you like to feel like you have the approval of the people in power, right? He wants the benefits that come from being accepted by the religious leaders. And he wants to avoid the social stigma that comes from being rejected by them. And he, he fears them so much that he's willing to betray his healer. That is his sin. And that attitude, that fear and longing for approval from the wrong kind of people, that is far worse than being physically disabled. Now, I, um, I, don't, I don't want to deny that being physically disabled can be extraordinarily difficult. 
especially in those days. My goodness. But there are worse things. You know, I, I know people who are in wheelchairs who say they lack nothing. And uh, they don't even like the insinuation that things should be any different. They don't want anybody's pity. I've also known healthy, able-bodied people who are miserable, right? So as Jesus says, there are far worse things than being physically disabled. And one of them is to have a heart that is so ruled by fear and the desire for approval from the wrong people that it's no longer open to God. No, no longer open to the work of the Holy Spirit. No longer open to the cultivation of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is so much worse than being disabled. Now, there is nothing wrong with wanting physical healing. And there's nothing wrong with praying for physical healing. But we should care about something even more than physical healing, and that is the attitude of our hearts. Are we open to God, or are we closed? Physical healing, as great as it is, cannot heal the deepest parts of us. So that's the first lesson. Second one, who receives physical healing is beyond our ability to predict or understand. Who receives physical healing is beyond our ability to predict or understand. I mean, let, let's remind ourselves of what we know about Eliezer, okay? So first of all, he was one of many disabled people who were all around this pool, right? And as far as we know, in this one particular instance, the only person Jesus healed was Eliezer. I'm sure there were a lot of other people who would like to have experienced healing that day, but Eliezer is the guy who gets picked. What else do we know about him? When Jesus heals him, he doesn't even know who Jesus is. So it's not like he has faith, and then that faith activates healing, right? He's just there, Jesus picks him. And then three, as we've just established, his soul was not healthy, right? And yet, Jesus heals him. What? You know, think about that. Most of us want to reduce what God is going to do down to some kind of predictable formula, right? People who have enough faith and pray enough, they will experience physical healing. People who do not, will not. But we can't reduce God's actions down to a formula. We just can't do it. God refuses to be predictable. As much as we might like him to be, he refuses to be predictable. Now, please don't misunderstand what I am saying, okay? I, am, I believe that faith in Jesus and prayer can open up doors to healing that would otherwise be shut. I believe that. But sometimes there's faith in prayer, and the physical healing doesn't happen. And sometimes there isn't faith in prayer, and there can still be a physical healing. This is the mystery of God. We can't predict. We just can't. And this story reminds us of that. 
And the good news is that even though God's ways cannot be predicted, these healing miracles reveal that he is often more merciful than we would expect. Right? And then lastly, one more lesson. Don't let fear of people keep you from being faithful to Jesus. Don't let fear of people keep you from being faithful to Jesus. Eliezer's fear of the religious leaders was so great that he betrayed the man who made him walk after 38 years of disability. That was his sin, that incredible fear. Now, I can't tell you how to apply that point to your own life. You need to seek God on that. You need to spend some time thinking about it how the fear of people might keep you from being faithful to Jesus. But as you think about it, there is uh, one caution that I would like to give you. Don't take that as an invitation to become a religious bully. You know, the kind of person who is quick to tell people, I'm right, you're wrong, you're a sinner, you need to stop, Shame on you. If that offends you, it's your problem. I ain't afraid of people. I'm just telling it like it is. Before you assume that that's what faithfulness to Jesus looks like, remember that we're following the man who commanded someone to pick up their mat on the Sabbath. I mean, if that's what faithfulness looks like, what I just described, that attitude then it's really the religious leaders who are being faithful, right? The kind of people that say, hey, you're not supposed to pick up your mat. Remember that faithfulness to Jesus looks more like Jesus than like the religious leaders. The Jesus we follow is not about the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. And the spirit of the law he taught is love. Being faithful to Jesus doesn't look like being steadfast in our judgmentalism. It looks like being steadfast in loving our neighbors, in forgiving our enemies, in turning the other cheek, in being merciful to those who are hurting. Whether doing those things is popular or not, And in the culture that we're in right now that is often so divided and angry, it's important to remember that that's what faithfulness looks like. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you told that man that you healed to pick up his mat and the significance of that, that you came to bring us a way of understanding the law that is life-giving and beautiful and true to God's heart, to your heart. Lord, we pray that you would give us deeper understanding through stories like this into who you are. Lord, help us to be the kind of people who speak truths that bring healing as your son did. 
In Jesus' name, amen.